as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Everyone, welcome to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am also... And I am Andy Wilson, also Big Shiny Robot, <laughs> a.k.a. Citizen Bot. So this week, uh, we've got three movies for you. Uh, we're going to talk about Paper Towns, uh, Southpaw, and Pixels. And we're going to save Pixels for the end because it's just a special movie. And we have we have a lot to talk about with that one. Special is the right word there. Sp- special is a very, very politically incorrect word that we will use to describe that movie because... Here at Board to Sell, we try to keep things PG, maybe a little bit PG-13, but uh, we are both going to have to uh, maybe bleep some things as oh, we go through. <laughs> and in dissecting this movie, there's going to be spoilers, but I'm sorry, if you went and saw Pixels, that movie was spoiled the second you walked into that movie. Yeah, but we'll, yeah, we'll say that for the end. Uh, first, though, let's, let's talk about Paper Towns. So Paper Towns uh, is based on a book by John Green, who most people know from writing A Fault in Our Stars. In fact, there's a kind of fun Fault in Our Stars nod and cameo in this movie. Yep. But it takes place in Orlando, Florida, uh, with a young man named Quentin Jacobson, played by Nat Wolf. He's a senior in high school, and unlike most teen movies, dramedies, he actually has plans for the future. He's working really hard in school. He wants to graduate, become a doctor. Um, but he's always kind of haunted by the fact that his next-door neighbor, Margot, played by Cara Delavinci, or I, sorry, I'm, I'm ruining your name, uh, she moved in when they were really young kids, and they became instant best friends, and she was really adventurous and wanted to go, you know, they, they found the dead body one time, and she wanted to go solve the mystery, but she was always a bit too adventurous for him. So as time went on, they went to high school, she became the incredibly popular girl, and he just kind of sat there with his really close friends and just was trying to make it through life. But one night, she comes to him and asks to borrow his car. It's like the... You know, the last semester of high school, and she asked him to come with him because she has to right some wrongs and wrong some rights. So reluctantly, at first, he kind of goes with her and finds out that her boyfriend has been cheating on her with her best friend, and her other best friend didn't, didn't tell her, you know, typical teen drama. So she goes out and with the two of them and do a bunch of hilarious hijinks and pranks. And the next day, uh, he wakes up and she's gone. Whether she was kidnapped, ran away from home, disappeared, who knows? But he's, you know, Quentin's kind of feeling sad about this because even though they fell kind of drifted apart, he's loved her since day one. Ever since uh, they met, he's had a thing for her. So he's going about school and life and starts to notice his little clues, clues that maybe she left to let him know where to find her. Um, so he and his best friend, Ben, who's kind of the smart ass, you know, wise class clown of the group, played by Austin Abrams, and their other friend, Radar, Justice Smith, Decided to go on a road trip with Radar's girlfriend and also Margot's best friend, Lacey, uh, who actually didn't know what was going on and kind of felt bad that she was implicated in what had happened with the, the cheating. Uh, go on this road trip to New York to what's called a paper town, which paper town refers to when a map maker creates a map, they would throw in fake towns to know that if anyone tried to copy it or infringe their copyright, that uh, it, was, it, was, it actually was theirs. They could go back and either sue them or say, hey, you plagiarized me. So they're heading to this paper town so that Q, Quentin, can finally confess his love and hopefully live happily ever after with Margo. Uh, so, it, you know, again, teen coming of age drama. We've seen this before. Uh, what I loved about this movie more than anything uh, is the chemistry between the three, the three best friends. So 
uh, Quentin, Ben, and Radar. I mean, these kids, these actors have such great chemistry together. When they interact with each other, it's almost like they've been best friends for their whole lives, just like the characters in the movie are. So when they're sitting there playing video games, talking smack, it's like I would be with you know, my roommate, my best friends, when we're you know yelling at each other, playing Mario Kart. Uh, it was very, very realistic. And what I also loved is the point of this movie. They always say the point is the journey, not the destination. And that's really what happens because it's all about this, this eventual road trip they take, the the clues they're trying to take to find out where Margot went. And that's when the movie works the, its best. Uh, overall, not a perfect movie, but definitely entertaining, especially when those characters are together and really working with each other to just kind of solve this riddle. Yeah, I, I really like that aspect of it as well. And that was the exact same element that worked for me was the three friends and them hanging out in the band room and just talking about life and getting girlfriends. And it was, it was so real. And I loved it that it was, it was about having that last fling, that last thing that you're going to do in high school with your high school friends before you all split up and go off on your on your various adventures to different colleges. And unfortunately for me, this movie didn't get good until that started. And that was more than halfway through. So the first 60 minutes, I kind of sat around like mildly interested. And, but I mean, other than the fact that it, it seemed like the first prank that they and first crime that they pulled when they went out was Margot went and stole Peter Gallagher's eyebrows. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, uh, for those of you who know this, uh, this actress, who's also a model, I'm told, but uh, yeah, she has amazing eyebrows. Um, uh, Peter Quill would remark uh, on, on their epicness. So anyway, uh, but to me, there wasn't anything that this movie said that wasn't said better by me, Earl and the Dying Girl earlier this year, or about a half dozen John Hughes movies I can think of. It this movie seemed like a a kind of rehash of a lot of that, uh, mixed with in with some millennial pandering. It's like, hey, millennial generation, I think we know what you want. Here's some ironic detachment and some of your favorite music, and it, it just. It, it frustrated me that the movie didn't get good in, until its last 30 minutes. So, I, I mean, I overall liked it, but that was, uh, that was harder for me. Yeah, the, the, there's a lot of uh, kind of pandering to Walt Whitman, especially, who I've never been a huge fan of, but it, it works out fine for this movie. Uh, I do agree with you that it takes a while to get going. The first 20 minutes where they're you know, pulling the pranks up until Margot disappears was a lot of fun, and then it kind of stalls. And you're exactly right. It does pick up again in the road trip and the adventure with that. Uh, but the one thing I really liked about this was, and you mentioned John Hughes, the perfect example, because that's our generation of these you know, teen coming-of-age movies. And even if I was a young kid when those movies were around, in my teenage years, I still went back and revisited them. Uh, too many teen movies nowadays uh, seem to either go one of two directions. Either they're going to be incredibly... Uh, depressing and everyone's sad and dies or um, very melodramatic or they go the route of raunchy teen comedy like American Pie. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, American Pie, when it first came out, was a lot of fun and then everything kind of copied it for a decade or more even now going forward. 
but it was cool to see a movie that decided to take the idea of pretty much straight-laced kids who, when they leave to go to New York on this road trip and just call mom and dad and be like, hey, bye, we'll be back. Uh, it was something they'd never done before. And, it, and for them, it wasn't, it was being rebellious, but it wasn't being rebellious in the way that, oh, I'm going to go sleep around with 20 people. I mean, I think the most horrible thing any of them does is go to a, a high school party and get drunk, which I think most everyone listening to this podcast probably did. I didn't actually. I was, I was a good kid in high school. I waited till so college. Sad. Waited till college to become a complete bastard. Um, so I liked that take on it. Uh, but like you said, there is a big part in the middle that maybe could have been crunched down a bit. I know they were kind of relying on the clues to find Margot, uh, and it does give us a really cool uh, sing along, which we both thought was hilarious, and had all of us in the in the screening laughing. That but, was that was my favorite part of the entire movie. There. They're uh, checking out this creepy abandoned uh, building where they think that Margot has left them some clues, and uh, to psych themselves up, they sing the Pokemon theme song. That was that was just great. And like you were telling me, I think you and I both, the moment like four or five words into the song, we both, or at least one of my audience, I was clapping and cheering, and then everyone else kind of slowly got it. But that that was that was one of the funniest, if not the best, moments of the movie. Yeah, I was the only person who got that. That was the second time in two weeks where I was the only person in the theater that got the joke. But yeah, so I, I liked it. Anyways. Yeah. So paper towns, you know, there, there are some problems with it, some patient issues. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I think it's better than a lot of the, the teen dribble that comes out. Uh, so I'm a pretty strong, yeah, let's say seven out of 10 on this. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty close there. I'd give it a six and a half out of 10. Uh, I, I, I think I have more problems with it than you do, but not by a whole lot. It go, go check this out. It's it's a good film. Yeah, in, in the end, it's it's harmless. I mean, it's it's teen cotton candy that's not full of bad morals or kids doing bad things. It's just it, it's I guess in a sense an innocent movie that just ends up being like a piece of cotton candy. It's fluff. And next year, none of us are going to remember this. None of us are going to sit back and be like, oh, Paper Towns was amazing. But I had a lot of fun while I watched it. But those kids who are in high school right now that this is their garden state, this is their 16 candles, then it'll probably work for them. Yeah. But a movie that is not harmless and... No, uh, no, 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 no. ...hits very, very hard is Southpaw. Uh, Anton Fuqua, uh, who directed Training Day and uh, many other great films, is the director again here. This was written by Kurt Sutter, who you might know from uh, Sons of Anarchy or... Uh, she of uh, the shield uh, really gritty hard-hitting dramas uh, and they they bring that right here uh, southpaw is the story of a boxer named billy hope played by jake gyllenhaal and he got yoked for this movie oh my goodness he, he puts chris evans and all the chris's from the marvel movies to shame shame yeah and well and it's so funny because like Chris Evans and and Chris Hemsworth and those guys, those guys have bigger frames and they can pack on more muscle. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's a, a smaller guy and he fits into this role of a guy who it, he looks like a middleweight boxing champion. He's just it, it's just amazing. Anyway, so Billy Hope is uh, he's he's quite spectacular as a boxer. He's forty three and zero. And uh, the reigning championship, of, or the reigning champion of his division, and because of this, everybody wants a piece of him. Uh, his manager, played by uh, Fifty Cent, Curtis Fitty. Jackson. <laughs> yep, 
uh, who he keeps showing up in summer movies, but he's pretty good here. That's because he's he's gone bankrupt, so he needs the money. <laughs> <laughs> Go Fitty, it's your birthday. <laughs> so, uh, he, he shows up here and he wants uh, he wants Billy to sign a big contract with HBO for three more fights uh, that'll net him about three uh, thirty million dollars. Uh, his his entourage they're all happy uh, getting the spoils of his winning record. Uh, meanwhile, his wife, played here by Rachel McAdams, is really worried about him and uh, trying to look for a way for them to move beyond this because uh, basically Billy's uh, strategy in the ring is he goes in, he gets beat up real bad, and then suddenly something switches on in him and he goes after people and, and knocks him down real good. So a little bit of Rocky in there, uh, a little bit of Raging Bull, but uh, as the commentators say in here, if 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 he isn't bleeding, he wouldn't be Billy Hope. So um, he's that's kind of the way he fights. Another person who wants a piece of him is an up and coming boxer uh, from Colombia, who uh, is probably the only guy who can beat him. He's a much more finessed boxer. And after an altercation at a charity event, there's suddenly an awful downward spiral. Uh, I, I won't tell you exactly what happens, but because of this, uh, Billy literally ends up losing everything in his life. And uh, he's got to find his way back. So he goes and finds the one trainer, Forrest Whitaker, who trained a boxer who almost beat Billy. Uh, the only one who ever came close. And he said, I want you to train me. And uh, so they start working together. And it's a great story about how he's putting his life back together. And uh, an eventual, I mean, this is this is somewhat predictable. It's his story of redemption. And uh, you, you can basically figure out where the movie's going to go from there. But the journey, that's what is really great here. Uh, this movie hits really hard it it is full of emotional gut punches as tough as anything these guys are dishing out in the ring and the the way that fuqua decided to uh film this uh sometimes from the view of the boxers themselves you can feel it as some of these punches land it, it is it is hard hitting it is kinetic uh and it it looks painful uh i mean uh, tell me if i'm i'm wrong here but i i was sitting there wincing when when some of these uh blows hit yeah it's 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 a realistic very realistic boxing movie i i'm not a huge fan of boxing in general uh the pacquiao what's his face fight obviously i i really didn't care uh, I think the most I saw of it, I was driving past a restaurant and happened to notice it was on the TV while I was on the red light. Uh, but yeah, this movie, it's it's hard hitting, it's gritty. Uh, you feel like you're in the ring. So whether you know, it's just, you know you're shooting from the perspective of the <clears throat> the referee or the boxer himself, I mean you you feel those punches. It's it's hardcore. It's almost. I wish I could have been on set to see how they filmed some of that because. It's so realistic. You feel like they had to have been punching someone or doing something. And, you know, we mentioned Jake Gyllenhaal packed on the pounds. I mean, and I read this. I don't know how 100% true it was. But, you know, his his workout regimen included, like, thousands of push-ups a day, actually learning how to box. I guess a couple times he actually got in the boxing ring, got knocked out a couple times. 
Uh, so he he went through the paces to make this as real as possible. And yeah, he is a beast. And he's you know when he takes his shirt off and he's working out. Like I said before, uh, the Marvel superheroes ain't got nothing on him because he he put the work in for this. And you know Jake Gyllenhaal has always been a fantastic actor. I think he's one of the best actors of our time. And he's definitely kind of given more of like the, the Rocky performance here with like the kind of muddled and muffled speaking. And it's kind of hard to understand sometimes, but he, he, he's amazing. In fact, the performance is all around here. I mean, Forrest Whitaker as Tick Willis, the guy who trains him is great. Um, the, the one I, who stands out, I got to give props to is, uh, Una Lawrence plays, uh, Layla Hope, who is his daughter. And she, God, she is for a young child to have that kind of presence on screen uh, is just utterly fantastic. I'm very, very excited to see what she will do next. But every moment she's on the screen, she's all eyes are on her. She outperforms everyone else. I was initially a little bit worried about her because I'm like, oh, great. Another precocious kid who's going to be the moral conscience of the movie. And then they don't do that. Um, she, She is precocious. But it is, it's really a revelation where their story goes. And she does great. And her performance is just as layered as Hall's. And I am constantly amazed by his choices here. Uh, between this and Nightcrawler, I'm just wondering, like, what's he going to do next? Because he just keeps picking the most interesting projects and then just knocking them out of the park. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, he's, I've loved him ever since October Sky when I was a kid. That was kind of oh, the yeah. first movie everyone knew him from. And then Donnie Darko kind of brought him to cult status. And it just kind of grew from there. Uh, performances here are absolutely incredible. In a character-driven movie like this, if you don't have that level of gravitas in how you present yourself on screen, there's just no way you can carry it. Uh, the one fault I will have this movie, kind of like Paper Towns, is there is a section in the middle that really bogs things down uh, i will say that you know from the moment that billy hopes downward spiral begins up until he has lost everything and finally meets tick willis you know forrest whitaker and starts training again it's you know it brings back like, the lamentations of job from the bible i mean this yeah. is a person who literally lost everything and it almost got to a point that it was it turned into the mopey jake Gyllenhaal movie and that works for about five minutes but 20 minutes of it it just pushes it a bit far not that, that it's it's a badly performed 20 minutes, but it, you made your point, let's move on. And I think that they could have shrunk that part down maybe by 5-10 minutes. It would have been a much tighter movie. Uh, because once he meets Forrest Whitaker and starts going from there and learning how to become a good boxer as, as opposed to just a machine who goes in the ring and, and pounds on people, uh, the movie, again, excels. Because the thing is, you know, Billy Hope isn't... He's never a bad person. He's not the one who... You know, becomes famous, money goes to his head. He really is a great father, a caring husband, and it's it's really sad to see these horrible things happen to someone who really didn't do anything wrong to begin with, aside from I guess his, his tragic flaw would be pride. But uh, yeah, if that that twenty minutes in the middle could have been shortened a bit. But that's really my only complaint about this movie. I, I completely agree. It's like if you if you chart this movie uh, as Billy's journey. Where, you know, he starts off on top and then he goes down, 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 and then he hits rock bottom and then he has to climb his way up. That last, that last bit as he's hitting rock bottom and the beginning of his, of his fight up are 
the weakest part of this movie. And I, I completely agree with you. And that's, that's the difference between this being a 10 out of 10 movie and uh, what I'm giving it an 8.5 out of 10. And see, I'm, I'm at an 8.0. Uh, I, I, again, it's great performance, great movie. But that little bit did drag it down enough. To, uh, it was, it was. I was sitting there and I was kind of wanting to look at my watch for a minute, and then it pulled me because that kind of pulled me out of the experience. I was like, "Ah, oh, this is so good," and then, eh. and then I got right back in 100. percent I, I walked out uh, jubilated, happy, excited. It, you know, it, it really does pull on those emotions. Uh, and yeah, fantastic movie, 8.0 for me. So. Yeah, it's it's so funny. I don't like boxing at all. Like, I couldn't name you more than like three boxers that weren't from Mike Tyson's punch out. Uh, (laughs) But but for some reason, boxing movies, uh, I just, yeah, a really well done boxing movie is, uh, is just awesome. Yeah. So, so again, overall two pretty good movies, one, you know, Southpaw is a little bit better than, than uh, paper towns, which takes us to our final movie of the week. Pixels. Talk about an emotional gut punch. Ugh. What's really funny is you were seeing Southpaw the same night I was seeing Pixels, so we were having opposite reactions. Um, so Pixels is based on a 2010 short uh, that was all over YouTube. If you go to YouTube and just Google Pixels or look up Pixels 2010, you'll find it. It's two minutes. Uh, it was created by a guy named Patrick Jean, who sold the rights to Sony. And then who did Sony decide would be the best person to make this movie? Well, let's call Adam Sandler and all his good friends from Happy Madison Productions to come and... Uh, no, pretty much just crap all over every awesome thing that this this short is. So, uh, in short, Pixel starts out in 1982, and arcades are becoming the big thing. We got Pac-Man and Donkey Kong. Uh, Tetris wasn't even around back then, but for some reason they threw it in there. Uh, Space Invaders, Arachnoid, and everyone, the arcades are blowing up. They have a world video game championship. Well, they film that, and NASA puts it in a time capsule and launches it into space, thinking, hey, you know, maybe extraterrestrials will one day find this, and uh, it'll be our first contact with them, you know, blah, 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 whatever, who cares, no one one cares. So that does happen, however, not the way they want, but anyways, our main characters, we have got Adam Sandler's playing Sam Brenner, we had three kind of main big friends back in 1982, Sam Brenner, who is Adam Sandler, Will Cooper, who is Kevin James, and Ludlow Lemonsoff, who is Josh Gad. They were all young, prepubescent kids who were at that tournament. And they all had big, huge dreams when they grew up. Well, uh, Sam, Adam Sandler, you know, his dreams failed. And he works for some Geek Squad knockoff installing Sony products because there's so much product placement in this movie. It's insane. Yep. And his life's crap. Uh, Kevin James, Will Cooper, somehow, we don't know how this happened, uh, became president of the United States. And, of course, everyone hates him because... Well, they shouldn't. Uh, and then Josh Gad, as we'll, you know from uh, Frozen, he's in some TV work and also the original Book of Mormon. Yay, Elder Cunningham! Yay, Elder Cunningham! Uh, Ludlow Lemonsoff is kind of a conspiracy theorist we meet later. But back to the aliens. The aliens find this footage, and instead of thinking, oh, what is this? These people are playing games. They think it's a declaration of war. So they come to Earth, and they attack Earth with these pixelated characters based on Space Invaders, Centipede, Donkey Kong, and it's basically a three lives, you lose three lives and you're out. So the government's going crazy, the world's going insane because they don't know how to fight these things, uh, and now it's, the battleground's coming to us, so who does President Will Cooper call? 
Well, of course, Adam Sandler, because, you know, they were video game players back in the day. And so the two of them join up with Josh Gad and then Peter Dinklage, who is uh, the ex-con man, or the actually current con man, uh, Eddie Plant, who was mulleted and says inappropriate things and spanks girls on the butts. And together they are going to protect the Earth from the alien invaders. And, you know, as much as it sounds like a cool idea, it just, as you can tell from my tone of voice, it just ended up the biggest, most complete mess in the world. Um, I'm going to let Andy start because I don't know how this is possible, but apparently you somehow ended up hating this more than I did. So I'm very interested to see your take because I thought no one could hate it more than I did. Yeah, you know what? I hate this movie so much. Just, no, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm, I, I refuse to directly speak about this movie in an overall review instead i am going to play clips from other better adam sandler movies that show my distaste for this film mortal kombat on sega genesis is the best video game ever i disagree it's a very good game but i think donkey kong is the best game ever donkey kong sucks you know something you suck it's a nice piece of shit what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Uh, who's this? Hello, sir. My name is Barry Egan. I called your service yeah, the other night. Oh, what's that? I said calm down and shut the f*** up. What's the problem? The problem is if you give me a chance to explain one of your employees, that girl who I was just speaking with, has been threatening me, and four blonde gentlemen just attacked me and smashed my car and hurt my girl. All right, go f*** yourself. That shit has nothing to do with me. All right, I run a legitimate business here. Listen to me. What's your name, sir? Answer me! What's your name, asshole? I'm Barry Egan! How do I know? You can be anybody, You're fuck. a person. You have no right taking people's confidence in your service. You understand me, sir? You're sick. No, no, no. Shut up! Shut the f*** You have up. no right to take people's Shut control. up! Will you shut up? Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! Shut up! Now! Are you threatening me, dick? Why don't you... You go f*** yourself! Oi! Did you just say go f*** myself? Yes, I did. That wasn't good! You're dead! Ow! F*** me in the gold ass! You f***ing whiz that thing! That thing is pointy, fellas. F***ing a regular Starbucks over there. But it all was bullshit. It was a goddamn joke. And when I think of you, pixels. With what you've done to me, I lay 
Just no, Adam Sandler. Stop. Just stop. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the clips pretty much sum up your point of view. Uh, I, however, have a bit to say about this. You know, the, my biggest, biggest problem with Pixels is it's such a really great idea. And the short was so amazing and very well done and had so much potential. And then Adam Sandler's team comes along and they just, they're so lazy and they just don't care it ruins everything. I mean, the big joke with Adam Sandler with his last couple of movies was, uh, you know, where does Adam Sandler want to go on vacation this year? Oh, let's go to Hawaii for three months while we film a crappy movie down there. Uh, let's go to Paris or England or wherever he wants to go. This movie, it's obviously filmed somewhere here in America on a soundstage or wherever. Um, he's basically just waiting for the director to yell cut so he can run to the bank and cash his paycheck. It's it's so blatantly just he's phoning it in so bad you can see the phone strapped to his head. I mean, there's a scene, a, literally a one and a half second scene, where his character is supposed to moonwalk, and apparently Adam Sandler just couldn't be bothered to learn how to do that. So they hired a stunt double for a one second scene. Like I'm clumsy. I have two left feet beyond belief. I can moonwalk at least for two seconds. Anyone can. Uh, he doesn't care. Good. And it's not even, it's like, if Adam Sandler can't moonwalk, take it out of the script. Tim Herlihy wrote this script for Adam Sandler. They have been working on stuff together back since Saturday Night Live. And the fact that I, uh, uh, just, yeah, that, that was beyond ridiculous. Yeah. Just it, hire a stunt double, either don't have it in or just learn to do it. You, uh. And again, it, it seems like a really small thing to pick apart, but it's just a symptom of the larger issue of how much the people involved with this movie were lazy and did not care. So Kevin James he's just there because Adam Sandler says, hey, come be in my movie. Um, but the worst part of all of it is that Josh Gad and Peter Dinklage characters, they're so over the top, they're making up for how lackluster Sandler and James are, that they just become so frenetically stupid that it's painful to see them on scene. Like, I love Peter Dinklage. I think he's a tremendous actor. He's yes. extremely talented. Uh, Game of Thrones is what he's most, most well-known for, and there's been scenes that had me in tears, I, I stood up and applauded the TV. I mean, that's how perfect of an actor he is. And to see him slumming here, and slumming the pet perfect word, because they must have given him a lot of money, for, or whatever, because it, his this they, this movie made me hate Peter Dinklage, and Josh Gad, who I love as well. And the fact that you could take two actors, who I are two of my personal favorites, and make me despise every single moment they were on scene, is is an accomplishment. That, that's It's an ungodly, un, horrible accomplishment. But it's still there. Um, yeah, Peter Dinklage, I, I actually think, is the best actor of his generation. You go back and you watch The Station Agent. I mean, that 
blows you away. Yeah, and Game of Thrones. And up to this point, I would have said Peter Dinklage has never made a bad movie or he's never been bad in a movie. I eat those words now because this was so terrible. Josh Gad, Josh Gad was in another really terrible movie, The Internship. Mm-hmm. Oh God, Tom don't Wilson even. Yeah. And Vince Vaughn. And, but those moments that he was in there, it's like, you know, that was the most interesting part of that entire movie, that character that he played, who was the head of search for Google. Really cool. And it just, uh, but, and the rest of that movie sucked, but not so here. I, I just, I don't know what they did to make this so bad with people who should be more talented. And that's the real problem I have with this. I think Kevin James and Adam Sandler are both incredibly talented, funny people. And they're just, they're just awful. And I, they've taken my love of things that I loved earlier in my life, both video games and, uh, Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, The Wedding Singer, and they've just crapped all over them because they can't be bothered. And not only can't they be bothered, but they can't even think about their concept for more than two seconds to be internally consistent. Like, his his big moment where everyone's like, oh, maybe we should trust this video game guy is Adam Sandler comes in and he's analyzing the patterns and he says, oh, look, this was the 1982 version of Galaga, not the 1986 version of Galaga. And everyone's like, oh, well, he's some sort of a savant because he understands this. But so the whole point was the, the aliens are only using video games that they saw in these 1982 recordings, except, like you said, they've got Tetris in there. They've got Duck Hunt in there. Duck Hunt wasn't released until many years later, and it, it wasn't even an arcade game. It was an NES game that got ported to an arcade console. It's just, I, I mean, I hate to be so nerdy nitpicky, but this movie just invites my derision so badly that I I just I can't stop and the, uh, and the worst the worst thing let, let's talk about Cubert do you want to talk about Cubert for a minute sure why not so the whole point the, the aliens whenever they win they take a trophy from us and whenever we win around then we get one of their warriors as a trophy okay so uh the first trophy that we win is the duck hunt dog, who then he never shows up again. Why? First why would he? I mean, you know that doesn't matter. So, first of all, totally lazy. So why even why even do that in the first place? So then the second one that we win is Cubert, and but Cubert can talk, and Cubert is there to be a fountain of knowledge to tell us about the aliens' weaknesses, which. Uh, like explain that on what planet does that make any sort of logical sense and then in the final coup de gras in the very last scene so Josh Gad's character is in love with this beautiful warrior princess character do you even remember what the name of that it wasn't even a real video game Lady Lisa 
Lady Lisa. They had to make up a 1980s classic game. Because, I mean, it wasn't like Golden Axe or anything back then, so. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, paging Anita Sarkeesian, like, seriously, this is a conversation Anita Sarkeesian and Feminist Frequency should be having so that they can crap all over this movie, too. Because then here's what happens. So she shows up as one of these warriors that's destroying Washington, D.C. at the end. And he goes to fight her and he's like, I won't do it because I love you and you're so beautiful. And so she decides to change allegiances and love him. But then when they win the final battle, she de-digitizes and disappears. And then Hubert becomes her. She is a literal trophy given to Josh Gad for winning a game. Like, I mean, I hate to be so objectively feminist about this, but that is just so wrong on so many levels. Not only is it, I mean, even feminism aside, it's just terrible, terrible, terrible storytelling. Well, yeah, and and bring up the you know the, the feminist part is the only female character in this entire movie, aside from you know Miss Miss Lisa, whoever, uh, is Lieutenant Colonel Violet Van Patten, played by Michelle Monaghan, in a totally wasted role. Her only purpose here is to let everyone make fun of her and talk crap on her because she's a woman, and then she gets to be rescued in the end and fall in love with Adam Sandler's character because well he's a hero and he saved the day and blah blah. blah. Like look, I don't, I don't. Yes, the the whole guy saves the girl trope we've seen that in countless countless stories fairy tales and in a movie like if we flip back a couple decades like the princess bride which is a modern fairy tale the brave you know the dread pirate roberts rescuing the fair princess from the the bad the evil king you know it's it's a fairy tale you know that's the whole thing but that at the same time the fair princess was given her chance to be a badass in that film you know and she was she wasn't just you know some oh help me help me you know this one they just they 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 treat her again like it's almost like she's the human trophy. She's there just to everyone make fun of, and then oh well now she's gonna come fight with everyone because she sees the light that the men are right. She needs to help them, and the first thing she does is get captured by Donkey Kong and has to be saved. Yeah, it's just it's it's so. I mean, it's more offensive to me on just a laziness and storytelling level than it is on a feminist level. And there's still some really major issues there with with the treatment of females. Yeah. So, I mean, my my basic thing was that it's it's sexist, it's racist as hell. I mean, there's there's a bunch of racism in there. It's homophobic the way they treat Josh Gad when he kind of tends to go off with Navy SEALs. Uh, it's boring, lazy. I, it made me hate Peter Dinklage. And the worst That's thing, unforgivable. Yeah. And the worst thing about this was is it could have been so cool had it been put in the hands of people who are actually talented and enjoy their work. Uh, I'm only giving this a 1 out of 10 because of the fact that the idea is cool and I I really love the source material. Uh, but aside from that, if it wasn't for Fifty Shades of Grey, I would say this is the worst movie of the year. Do not see it. Do not let your friends even try to convince you that there's something worthwhile here. Uh, I don't even know if the guys from Rift Tracks could salvage this. It's one of the worst things Adam Sandler's ever made uh, and I hope he gets in a plane crash. Yeah, I just, no, zero. I, you know, I've explained my my movie reviewing philosophy before. I don't give many 
10 out of 10s. I don't give many 0 out of 10s, but this is a truly, especially heinous movie because it because it takes a concept that should have been an easy layup and could have been turned into something really cool very easily, but because of their laziness and negligence made it just abjectly worse. If I could give it a negative score, I'd give it a negative score. If I could give it a score of an irrational number, I would give it a score of an irrational imaginary number. (laughs) This movie is rated I. (laughs) It's just, just awful. 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 So, we hate to leave you on a down note, but, you know, it's it's, in a sense, it's, it's kind of there, there are a few things more fun in life than really praising a great movie, and at the same time, really tearing apart a horrible movie. Uh, I mean, even when we went and saw a movie on Thursday night, the critics and I were still there, still bashing on this movie. Four days later, uh, it's it's one that's you know every time someone brings it up at work or anywhere else, I just it's just it's so bad you have to tell people about it. Like I was, yeah, it's it's horrible. Don't go see it. Um, apparently, no one is because it's looking to bomb pretty hard at the box office. Good. Which it should because, like you mentioned before, is that Adam Sandler and Kevin James can do good stuff, uh, but get it out of the hands of their friends for their crappy little production company. You know, let's get it back with you know directors and writers who actually can do their jobs and put them in their place to make them do their job of pretending to be a character who actually cares and actually trying to deliver a performance and not just go cash paycheck. Yeah, and, and let's not leave this on a down note. I one of the things I was actually. I thought they were going to do in this movie is Dinklage seemed like he was trying to uh, he was trying to channel a little bit the character of Billy Mitchell uh, who is an actual Donkey Kong video game champion uh, who you can see in a great movie called The King of Kong A Fistful of Quarters which is a documentary all about uh, both Billy Mitchell and uh, another guy uh both competing against one another to try and be world champions. So uh, go check that out. It's streaming on Hulu. It's totally worth your time. Yeah, and if you think gamers today are crazy, if you've played Halo or Call of Duty and dealt with like, the stuff there, I mean, these guys are, I would say one of them is borderline insane about oh. the way he approaches it. Yeah, Billy Mitchell, absolutely. Like, that guy, wow. Yeah, wow. he includes, like, breaking and entering. And, yeah, it's a great documentary, uh, very well made. Especially if you have that love of classic arcade games. Um, and as a recommendation from me, uh, if you live in Utah and you want to go kind of check out some of these really cool arcade games, go check out the Atomic Arcade. It's over off 39th and Highland. Uh, it's an uh, old school, it's not, I can't call it a Nickelcade because they have the games for 25 or 50 cents. But they've got Pac Man and Arachnoid and Donkey Kong and Cetapede and all those really cool games that I grew up playing on Atari and Nintendo. Uh, but a lot of kids nowadays have never seen probably even outside this movie. So uh, head over there, check them out. It's free to get in. And if you get bored, you can always go upstairs to Cruisers. You might see me there doing some karaoke. Um, I have a couple drinks. So those are our recommendations this week. Uh, next week, we actually have hopefully some good movies. Uh, we have Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, the fifth movie in the series, uh, with Simon Pegg and Tom Cruise going against the, uh, the anti-MI5. And then we have Vacation, the Ed Helms... Uh, kind of a reboot, kind of a sequel. Uh, basically, it's Chevy Chase's kid, Rusty, from the first Vacation movies, is now an adult and decides that to kind of get his family together, he will take them on a road trip to Wally World. And, of course, shenanigans ensue. So we will have all that for you next week. We'll have a written review of Vacation Up before the podcast comes out. So please check it out on Big Shiny Robot. 
And also be sure to follow us at BoardIsHellCast.com, Facebook.com slash BoardIsHellPodcast, and at BoardIsHellCast on Twitter. Andy, go ahead and take us out. Jake Gyllenhaal, I wish I knew how to quit you. Hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly. Punk ass fly. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. I don't care how popular you are, you will never work on my show.